thing, but see it differently. I used to work um, as a chaplain for a police department where I rode with law enforcement officers for quite a while. And pretty much every day I, I spent some time and, and we would go to the scene of, a, of an auto accident and we would ask people what happened and we would look at witnesses that were at that same intersection. And each one of them gave us a completely different story. We, we see out of an angle of vision, one of my seminary professors said, and that angle of vision or that vision comes from all of the life experiences and all the life situations that we have. It's not that what we're seeing is wrong, it's we're just seeing it through our vision. Well, today I want to challenge you to maybe not see the world through our vision, but to see it through God's eyes. When you look after Davis gets there, when you look at the world, I want to know what you see. Do you see, um, when you look at the world, when you go downtown in Nashville, for example, do you see homelessness that looks like this? Or do you see spaces that maybe look like this? When we get together in small groups or when we get together, good grief, um, you know, I'm not going to make a big comment or commentary over a general conference, but sometimes we see the world like this with fists. But can I challenge you? Can I challenge you for a second that maybe homelessness and poverty could look like this? Where there's love? In the midst of poverty, there's, there's amazing love and there's amazing presence of God. Or maybe like this, where kids are just having fun and, and enjoying the food. Even in the midst of the surroundings that maybe we would think that are just undoable, that there is hope. You see, so many times we see the world through our own eyes. We, we see and we try to project what we want it to be. But what would this world look like? What would others look like if we were to see the world through God's eyes? To see the vastness of the love that that God offers us. To see the presence of God there. What would that look like for us? Well, from all of this, and you know, the the praise team kind of helped us. What I'm going to suggest to us is that maybe we need to look at the world with slightly different vision. Now, I'm not going to do this the whole time because y'all couldn't take me seriously looking like this. I know that. But, but what happens if we look at the world through sunglasses? Have you ever been outside and, and you could barely just see you could, because of all the glare? And then once you put on the sunglasses, everything becomes clear? You see, I believe that's the way it can be when we let God give us vision. The third song in our series, if you haven't figured that out yet, is... Anybody want to take a guess? Be Thou My Vision. Yeah. Be Thou My Vision. Be Thou My Vision was written written by Dallin Forsell. And the interesting thing about this is that he wrote this song in his blindness. He wrote it when he couldn't see the world at all. But he understood the clearness and the vision. The original words date back to about 530 BCE. 
And I'm not even going to try to tell you what the original um, title was because it ain't going to work for me. But I'll just simply tell you that he was reformed and he was trying to help the Gaelic tradition begin to understand and, and revisit how they look at the miracles and the work of God. And if you've ever taken some time to, to really look at that song like we're going to today, hopefully you're going to see like, like I've seen that the words of that song just point us in, into a direction that I believe if, if we as, as the church and if we as, a, as the citizens of this world really would begin to look at, at the kingdom of God on earth. Because after all, don't y'all pray that quite a bit? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we could begin to look at, at the world through the eyes of God, through the vision of God, through the perspective that God gives us, if we could begin to look at that, I can't even begin to imagine what an amazing place this world could be, what an amazing place our church could be, what an amazing place Hendersonville could be. So the first verse, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, safe that thou art. Thou my best thought by in day and by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence in light. Paul said, in Philippians 3, verse 7, he says, but whatever, but whatever gains to me were, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the unsurpassing worth and of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. What would it look like if we began to look at the world not through what we could get or what we might have, but through the fact that we had this simple relationship that we have with Christ, that simple relationship that God offers us, that simple relationship that the good, good Father, as we just sang about, gives us? What would it look like to see if God took us back to the place that we began and began to look at that? How would that change who we are and what we do? How would that change that horrible day at work? Now, don't you all look at me like you've never had a horrible day. You all have. I know that. Some of you all, we've talked about it. Yes, we have. (laughs) And some of you all, I can just look at you when you come in on Sunday mornings, and I know what your week's been like, because you look like you've been beat up, and you're you're coming to the well. (laughs) You're coming to the well looking for something because it's just been such a week. And I'm not saying that the week is going to be sweet and fuzzy and warm and cozy all the time. But if we were to change the way that we look, if we would let God be our vision, even some of those horrible days, as Paul said, could be champion days. Because even though the day was horrible, Even though the day was horrible, with God as our vision, knowing that Christ is in our life, we could change it. Without going into a lot of detail, some of you who live in Hendersonville know that, uh, that there have been some issues in town, in, in um, pickup, let's just say. <laughs> 
And I went over to Public Works on uh, Friday just to visit and, and quite honestly ask when my garbage was finally going to get picked up. And when I, when I walked up to the, to, the, to the window, I saw two people there that had just had a horrible week. And I was trying to think, how do you start a conversation? And, and the woman looked at me with a big old smile and she said, it was kind of fake, but, but it was a smile nonetheless. Okay, she was trying. And she said, what can I help you with? I said, you probably don't want me to tell you. She went, no, I don't. <laughs> I said, but before we talk about that, let me let you know one thing. I've been praying for you all this week. I said, because I know you all have been having a horrible week. And a real smile came on both of their faces. And one woman looked at me and she said, you haven't been praying for patience for me, have you? (laughs) I went, no, ma'am, why? She said, because the Bible says that patience comes through tribulation. I think that's what this has been. (laughs) I said, no, actually, I've been praying for grace, for love for y'all, because I'm afraid that you probably haven't felt a whole lot of love this week. And one of the ladies looked at me and she said, you know, the only thing that's been holding me is to know that God's been with me. And I just looked at her and I said, thank you, because you just started preaching my sermon for me this week. I appreciate that. But, but what would that look like? What would that look like if we truly understood that really what we get, what we gain... Isn't that important? And really what we lose isn't that important if we have Christ and we're able to share Christ. Second verse says, Be thou my wisdom, be thou my true word. I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father and I thy true Son. Thou in my dwelling and I in thee one. One of the things I learned a long time ago is that when I try to fix things, when I try to be in control of things, when I try to do the stuff, when it's me and it's I, I usually mess it up. Any of y'all have had that problem? Or do you actually have it all together and you actually pretty much have control? Anybody? Yeah. For the one who raised their hand, you're mistaken. (laughs) The reality is, is that the way that we survive, the way that we exist, the way that we, the way that we should live is by allowing God to be our wisdom. You know, John Wesley said that we should be spending time in the word daily, seeking God's face. We should be praying daily. Seeking God's will. We should be in the presence of of Christian community. Small groups are important in our lives. Because that's where we begin to hear God's wisdom. Even from people like Jack, I can hear God's wisdom. (laughs) We hear God through scripture, through prayer, and through Christian community and small groups. Now, I told you, I I am the director for the Center for Men's Ministry. I work with guys 
365 days a year. Ladies, you can pray for me harder, okay? Because that's a hard job. Because guys are generally hard-headed. Now, see, I was expecting a gasp and somebody to say no. <laughs> Let me try that again. Guys generally are hard-headed. There we are. <laughs> they are. Because there is something, I don't know if it's in our DNA or if it's in our societal understanding of who we are as guys, but we're supposed to be able to fix things. We're supposed to be able to know how to get to that next step. There is just something that when we were born, I I think that we believed that we knew how to feed ourselves and we knew how to clothe ourselves. It's just that way. But the reality is, as I work with guys on a regular basis, the thing that I have to do is to take them back to the beginning and say, look, you didn't come into this world on your own. You're not going to leave this world on your own. And to try to do the journey by yourself is stupid. You need to depend on God for wisdom. And when you come up with that amazing idea, don't look at people and say, look what I did. And ladies, you do that too. I've heard it. I worked in my first career, I worked in a department, and I was one of two guys in a department of 72. I had 70 women that I worked with. And they were all x-ray technologists and, and those types of people as well. And when they did great things, they would look at me and say, look what I did. And I would look at them and go, yeah, you're not all that in a bag of chips. Look what God Gave you the wisdom to do. How would the world change, my friends, if we were to actually believe that we, when we pray, we ask God to be our wisdom and our true word, that God would be our daddy and would dwell in us so that we would have that wisdom? What would it look like in our attitude of gratitude if we actually really believed that God was the one who gave us the stuff that we have? It is truly a gift from God. Then when we come to offering time, really what our gift is is not as as a way of asking for more. It's really saying, thank you, God, for what you've given us. That's why when we take the offering every Sunday, we talk about all of the ways we give back to God. Because not only is our paycheck a gift from God, but everything we have is a gift from God. Our skills, our talents, our our ability to speak, our ability to love is all a gift from God. If we truly allowed God to be our wisdom, what would that look like? The next verse says, Be thou my breastplate, my sword and my fight. Be thou my armor and be thou might. Thou my soul's shelter and thy my high tower. Raise thou me heavenward. Oh, power, my, my power. I think I've told you all before. Um, one of the things that really held me back from being a pastor and really tried to hold me back from being a teacher in my other career was I really hate getting in front of a group of people and speaking. <laughs> I am nervous as all get out until I get here in front of the group. And I think part of that is, up until the point that I get to this place, 
I try to be my own breastplate, my own protector. You know, what if they're not going to like what I say? What if, what if suddenly... What if suddenly they're going to start falling out on the floor laughing out of something serious I said? And actually, that almost happened today. As I was talking about the offering and the, and the, and the, the praise team was putting on the sunglasses, actually, I was kind of going, what the heck's going on back there? And I was afraid to look, and then suddenly it hit me. Oh, yeah, I, I did ask them to do that. <laughs> and these folks weren't ready for that. But, but I almost was like, you know, because whenever I get up to preach, whenever I get up to teach, whenever I get up to speak, the prayer that I say immediately before getting up is, Lord, you are my protector. You are my wisdom. You are my all in all. You have to make it because I can't. And I thought God had left me down, let me down for a second. <laughs> People are paralyzed every day. Not physically paralyzed. I mean, not that they can't move, not that they can't walk, not that they can't do that stuff. But spiritually and emotionally, they're paralyzed so many times. Because when they try to take care of issues, they're faced with things that they're just not prepared to care for. It's a song that we sang years ago. And the one verse of that song, actually it's just one phrase in that song that bounces in my head whenever I forget that God is my breastplate, my, my shield. It goes, take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer. You don't have to get on your knees. You don't have to, you don't have to, to get in any particular pose. You don't have to have a set of words Coming home Monday on the interstate, I moved over into the turn lane, and another person moved into the turn lane after me, behind me, and I suddenly came up to like standstill traffic, so I stopped, and this guy wasn't necessarily paying attention. I mean, I know that's hard to believe on the interstate. And I saw him coming for the back of my car. And the only thing I could say is, Lord, help. And he stopped right before he hit me. This doesn't trivialize trivialize anything. I mean, God is not that great giver of everything that we want, that that we basically just ask for. But there are times when you need to recognize that you're really, there's no way that this is going to happen except by God. You don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen. You don't have to be afraid of standing up in front of a group of people. You don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen if you go out into the community and share the love of Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry about what that person's going to say because it's not you that goes there. It's Christ in you that goes. And Christ will be your protector through it all, in it all, and through it all. The next verse reminds us about what we have. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance through all my days. Thou and thou only, the first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. What would it look like? Imagine the writer of this song. 
not being able to see anything. Think about these verses. And then we get to this one and says, I heed not anything because you are everything I need. What would it be like if we actually lived our lives and and spent time in our world living, if we truly understood that God was everything that we needed and everything else was extra? How would we relate to each other? You see, we live in a consumeristic society. To quote one of my seminary professors, we live in the world of the market, not in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of the market, then people become a way to an end. I'm going to become friends of Louise because Louise is going to take me to someone who's, more, who's equally as important or more important than she is, and I'm going to get in. I'm going to meet up with James because James is going to be able to help me get that next thing. That's how the market works, isn't it? We don't look at people for who they are. We don't look at situations for what we might bring to them, but we look at those situations for what that situation or that person will bring to us. But if we begin to look, understanding that we don't need riches, we just need God. And then when James and I connect then we use our giftedness together to create something that is brand new and amazing. Neither one of us, if we understand that God is what we need, ever need to be the winner. And we live in a world where people just need to be winners. And the problem with that is, is that we will never be winners unless God is first. The last verse says, High King of Heaven, when the battle's done, grant heaven's joy to me, bright heaven's sun, Christ of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. That is an amazing way to end a prayer, isn't it? person asked me one time, are you afraid to die? No. Well, aren't, why aren't you afraid to die? You know, you might be in an auto accident. I, said, I didn't say I wanted to be in an auto accident. <laughs> I, I said I didn't want to die. I wasn't afraid to die. And if we have if we have a vision that is God's vision, if we accepted Christ as our Savior, there shouldn't be a soul here afraid to die. When I was in seminary, we had to do skits for uh, one of our seminary uh, classes. Uh, it was a new way that our professor thought that she would uh, teach us. And I remember one of the, one of the skits that uh, one, a couple of my colleagues in seminary did and it was kind of funny sort of 
It was dead serious for the time, but it was kind of funny, sort of. We chuckled, kind of uncomfortably, but we chuckled. The person was in church, and they were worshiping, and, and the other one, there were three people. One was worshiping, sitting in the pew. One was being the pastor um, who was preaching, and the other was a terrorist. And the terrorist came into the church with a gun and said, stop praying, and stop preaching, or I'll kill you. And, and the parishioner played the role, and they were a little bit concerned about that. I mean, how many of you all wouldn't be? You know, that's kind of a weird place to be. The pastor stood up in front of that person and said, you can't scare me with heaven. <laughs> and I kind of chuckled for a second. Uncomfortably, because that had just been around the time that people had walked into churches and was doing that. Not that it hasn't happened since. But then we begin to talk about the faith statement that came from that. But we don't have to be afraid of anything. When this battle's done, that we're in here. As I told you guys the first time I think I ever preached here, I read the end of the book. We win. <laughs> we, we win. I, I've read it four or five times, and every time at the end of the book it hasn't changed. We win. We don't need to be afraid of that. We need to know that at the end of this, all we need to do is to keep our eyes focused on God's vision because our reward is heaven. Our reward is something that is better. So yeah, don't, you can't scare me with heaven. But more importantly, I want to hang around here long enough to make a difference in this world. And you see, my friends, as we look at Philippians 4, excuse me, 3, 1 through 14 in its, in its totality, what Paul is saying is, you know, whatever, but whatever my gains are for me, I consider them lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. For the witness of the sake of the things that I have lost, I consider them all garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him and having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law. But, but that which is in faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, the basis of our faith. I want you to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings became like him in his death, and so somehow obtaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or that I already have arrived to my own goal, but I press on and actually, in another version, it says, I turn my eyes into the direction to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but only one thing I do. I will follow Christ. Be thou my vision. O Lord of my love, nothing else but you and you alone. So what would it look like 
as we look at a vision, as we look at this world, can we maybe possibly please look at the world like this? What would it look like to look at the world through lenses of love, of hope, of possibility, knowing that God is our breastplate, knowing that God is our provider, knowing that we don't have to worry, knowing that God is our wisdom? What if we were to look and see this in our eye? To see Christ. And to see Christ's love. What would it look like if just maybe we put on God vision and look at the world in a new and exciting way? Looking at the possibilities looking at the current reality, which on our own we see as bad, but if we look through God's eyes, it's just amazing. Not the suffering, but the possibilities that we have as followers of Christ to change the world. You see... I kind of think, as I think about the Lord's table, as I shared a little bit last week, Jesus and his followers were celebrating that memorial meal. They were looking at a current reality where people were, were a world where, where there was this turmoil and, and, and people were trying to get Jesus and, and people were trying to get the followers of Jesus where there just didn't seem like peace. Think about that, all that happened during what we call Holy Week. All the stuff that happened in the temple, all of that stuff, all of the yelling and the screaming. I mean, it started really cool. Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday. Hosanna, loud Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. But it kind of took a nosedive real quick. But Jesus stayed focused. What would it look like if, if, if we stayed focused? As Jesus looked at his disciples, I, I think, and we can't necessarily find this in Scripture, but kind of in the back of my mind, I, I think maybe Jesus saw them struggling. The reason I think that is because I know if I were in their shoes, I'd be struggling too. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I didn't sign up for this, Jesus. <laughs> you said it was going to be cool. There's nothing cool about this. And then Jesus suddenly walked into that room. Remember what was going on? They were fighting over who was going to be in the seat of honor. You see, I I see Jesus as totally human and, and totally divine. And I think that totally human side of Jesus was probably a lot like my, my Jewish family. 
Jesus walked in and looked at them trying to figure out which, who was going to sit in the seat of honor. And I think Jesus probably walked in and went, Oi, <laughs> they still haven't gotten it. And instead of telling them a story, he lived it out in front of them as he washed their feet. And he said, if you want to be the first, if you want to be the, serv- this, the leader, you must first become the servant. And then he reminded them, as he did really on the road to Emmaus in the post-resurrection story, of what this was all about. Because you see, it was in the scriptures. The Bible says that Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks. Blessed are you, O God of the universe, who brings forth the grains of the field. And I I, want to believe that he slowly broke the bread so that everybody could see it. And he said, this is my body which will be given to you. My commentary. While you might not quite understand it yet, this is going to be clear soon. This is how much I love you. My body given for you. The cup of redemption. They had heard those words so many times. It was a story that they told every year. But Jesus needed to give it new meaning so that they would know what was coming so that they would know why what was coming was coming, so that they might know that Jesus loved them. He gave thanks. Blessed are you, O God of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant. My blood, which is going to be shed for you and for all for the forgiveness of sins. Take this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. When we begin to look at this holy meal through the eyes of God, it's not dinner. It's a gift of life. It's a gift of love. It's a gift of possibility. And so the church has been gathered around this table since that time, remembering, giving thanks, and experiencing the living gift of God's love. John Wesley said, a means of grace. A way of God saying, I am your breastplate. I am your provision. I am the one who will give you all that you need. I am the one who is with you. As you come and eat, as you come and share this meal, come and view it through God's vision. 
and hear God say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Pour out your Holy Spirit, O God, upon these gifts of bread and juice. May they be the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one, one with each other, one with you, and one with the world in service until you come and we feast at that table that you will prepare. All honor and glory is yours. Almighty God, now and forever. Amen. I would ask those who are coming to serve, to, or excuse me, ask those who are serving, please come. For 27 years now, I have been serving communion, and I've always started this way. In the United Methodist Church, we have an open table. You don't have to be a member of this church or the United Methodist Church to receive this meal. This is a gift of God's grace. Come and experience God saying, I love you.
Can I tell you all a secret? Change is hard. Changing the way that we walk in our lives isn't an easy thing because it requires us to really think about it. So one of the things that I've learned is that having tools to help us remember is always a good thing. So as you depart from this place, look at heaven, look at the world through God's eyes and be able to see something different. So grab a pair of sunglasses as you leave and bask in God's love. May the grace and peace of the God who loves you so much, the Savior, our brother, may Jesus live in you and give you hope. Go from this place and serve God in all that you do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go, be disciples, but be lovers of God's people. Amen. Amen. Go out with God's love. You're just